previously on Something Who. Hello and welcome to the podcast where we take something old, a Doctor Who story from the original series, compare it with something new, one from the new series, and add something borrowed to make Something Who. Yes, it's Something Who podcast. I'm Richard and we're back to discuss another couple of Doctor Who stories. First off, it's the very first story of all, an unearthly child or whatever it is you choose to call it. And then it's that other one that sort of comes right between the two, the the old and the new series. It's the so-called TV movie starring the Eighth Doctor. We're going to talk about new beginnings, I guess, over the course of the evening. And with me to discuss such things, we have Big Finish author and missing... (laughs) We have Big Finish author and missing episodes podcaster, Paul. Hello. (laughs) Oh, it was seamless, that, wasn't it? Utterly seamless. (laughs) Yeah, we've got science and astronomy writer Giles. Evening. And we have graphic designer and podcaster Gav. Hello. Good evening, chaps. And now on to part two of our discussion. So we move on to that there TV movie, or Doctor Who. Brackets, 1996. Or the the one with McGann and the Pertwee logo. Hmm. Or the enemy within, if you believe no one. That was my preferred option. Ah, Um, but you're wrong, and you're a grotesquely ugly freak. I believe it came from the producer, um, so... It was as valid as anything else that a producer has ever Yeah, but didn't he make it up at a convention? Because it's not in any of the paperwork. Hmm. Two... Two things. One relevant, one not relevant. Yeah. The relevant one is that it fits the story. So it's not like he pulled it completely out of his ass. <laughs> and number two is that the element within, I seem to remember, had been used, had been proposed and abandoned for two or three Doctor Who stories before in the, uh, in the old days. So I thought it would be nice to finally and give it Classic give Star it Trek as well. Mm. Can you name a Doctor yes. Who to which the enemy within would not fit as a title? <laughs> <laughs> The Phantom Menace. <laughs> Horror Fang Rock. No, well, no, because they're, they're, they're people pretending to be other people. So. Oh, I thought you said one where it would fit. No, one no. where it would not. I'd, Find one where it wouldn't no. fit. I didn't think you said that. I heard what you said, but I decided Excellent. to Shall we move on? It. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So, rather like the first episode and Unearthly Child, the set... The TARDIS set is pretty impressive, and we certainly get to see plenty of it. I mean, maybe the set dresser has gone a little bit over the top with all the candles, but there's a lot of it. It's stunning. I modelled this set for the TARDIS Type 40 manual, Oh yeah. and it was a real eye-opener to see the actual layout, how big it was. You get one shot in the TV movie of, there's a panning shot of a series Mm. of clocks on a shelf, that is a whole antechamber of the console room. There's an arboretum full of plants and clocks, and that is separate off from yep. the main chamber. There's a balcony with bookshelves all along the top that you basically don't see at all. It's an absolutely extraordinary set. There's a series of concentric rings you don't fully appreciate on screen, radiate out from the console of buttresses and, and these pillars and... It's it's an extraordinary space, and it's a huge set. And, it, yeah, you just never see it. But I suppose had it gone to a series, it would all have been worth it. 
amazing, but a heavily fogged set as well, so you lose a lot of things into the background. Do you think, I mean, it would have shrunk, wouldn't it, if it had gone to a series like it did in the original series? Well, show. presumably, if it, it it would have been maintained as a standing set if there was a hint of it being commissioned, because that's the nature of things, isn't it, in the American setup? I'm getting ahead of myself here, but one one of the things I like about this is that it does look so expensive mm. in general, but also mm. specifically for American TV of the time. It looks mm. so much better than standard American network TV then and indeed now. Um, but that's because it has the budget for a TV movie, isn't? Doesn't it? Mm, it's not yeah. a pilot; it's a TV movie. Yeah. Mm. So if it had been taken to series, would it have been a you know one of those twenty six, well twenty two, twenty four, twenty six episode a year things? Yeah. So everything would have gone all that lovely. You wouldn't have had Je- Jeffrey Sachs star direction. It would have looked like an episode of the A Team. Mm. <laughs> well, it's the era of ER, isn't it, or something like that? It's like PD Blue or something. Mm. I don't know. Yes, that kind of thing. Yes. No, Esfels was running already, so well into... Do you think every other week would have had a bottle episode set entirely in the TARDIS, like you did on Star Trek? I mean, Mm. pretty much, wasn't it almost alternate episodes of Next Generation were set entirely on the ship while they were building the the planet set for the next one? And it feels like you had the X-Files and you had ER and things like that that were pushing the boundaries of, you know, and we're talking about... 1990s serialised TV, not 1980s serialised TV. So it might not have yeah. got gone to quite those levels of bathos. And yes, you wouldn't have had Jeffrey Sachs' level of direction, though, as you, as you say. And doubtless things would have been shrunk onto a smaller scale. But mm. don't think it would. Mm. Well, we'll never know, will we? Be one of those, like many things, we'll never know what they would have done next. Mm. Am I correct in thinking that all the leaky Bible stuff yeah. had been thrown out by this point pretty much comprehensively? So they yes, yeah. So there wasn't ever any any thought that this was a lead into all of that stuff, particularly. No, the only kind of hints of stuff that linger on is the idea of people's sort of essences being slightly fused with the TARDIS. So in the Leakley Bible, Barusa is the Doctor's grandfather and he becomes sort of fused with the essence of the ship and, and helps the Doctor mm-hmm. on his adventures. And there's a tiniest hint of that with the, the people being kind of part of the Eye of Harmony and um, the Master gets absorbed into the Eye of Harmony at the end and, and you get that the scene where they're using the Eye of Harmony as a sort of telepathic link between the, the Doctor. But that's, I think, really the only little echo of it that lingers on. But otherwise, everything is swept away. We seem to have bypassed everything. talking about whether we actually like this or not. But so I'm just going to say up front that I do like it in itself. But I also, I feel like, I also feel like I need to... I often find myself just um, praising it with faint dams, a bit like <laughs> um, 100,000 B.C., in that it could have been so much worse than it is. I haven't read any... Um, I don't remember reading Gary Russell's book on the production of the TV movie. The one book that... But the one behind-the-scenes account that has stuck in my mind is... Oh, who was it wrote... Who's read the book called The, the, nth, N, the nth Doctor? Doctor. Yeah, which, uh, which L'Officier. Yes, it was L'Officier. That's which, why they yes, fell out. Where I know, <laughs> and all that stuff about... Leakly Bible, leaky Bibles and mm. um, Barusa and Ulysses... Mm. And plans to just remake classic episodes. This was all being seriously considered under under Philip Segal's watch, mm. 
at some point. You didn't want a version of the series that was massively steeped in the in the history of the show. The network insisted on using a staff writer, which was Leakley, who'd done things like the reboot of Knight Rider and, I want to say, Miami Vice or something like that. Now, quite how much he came up on his own and how much was Seagal's stuff, I don't know. But I know that Seagal was kind of resistant to, to lots of fan references, but I think they, they got to a, a, an acceptable middle ground in the end. Right. That's all a bit confusing. So Seagal didn't want all that sort of stuff, but they then produced a Bible which is entirely, which was stuffed full of lore, but which would not have satisfied fans of the old series because <laughs> it was all wrong. Yeah, it was a mixture it was, of old and new stuff. It, it was the worth of both worlds. He took uh. the, the show and rehashed it, but in a way that had no acceptable continuity. But it was repurposing a, a property in a way that they could. But also, they specifically wanted to remake stuff that was lost. They, their, their idea was to redo missing episodes. Hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. Why? Well, because they're missing. I mean, Patrick Tratton wanted to remake Evil of the Dance because he liked it, he remembered it and he liked it. Did mm. Phillips, I mean, was this Seagal as a fan letting his fanish tendencies win out? Or mm. well, I can't imagine anybody, any hard bitten American TV professional uh, coming at it from that point of view. Unless there's a knock on the head. Yeah, I mean, I mean, nobody would ever <laughs> want to remake a story that hadn't, you know, like for instance, Sharda that hadn't made it off of the. Uh... So the, the basically, this is going to be rebooted in the strict sense of a reboot, not the loose way in which people throw it about nowadays. Mm. In that the, you would take the name and the concept and some of the parts, and put them in a big pot, stir them all about, and in theory, and hopefully take the best of it and produce a newer, more concise version of all the things that worked. But in practice, probably not that. Hmm. That's what it would have been, a reboot. Before, reboots are really a big thing. Mm-hmm. But we didn't get that. So, I mean, goodness me. I mean, how lucky... <laughs> the BBC, do we think, do we know whether the BBC would have pushed back at the idea of a reboot? Or have they been perfectly happy with that? In fact, weren't they the ones who didn't really want it to carry on from have any continuity of the original series? Or was that just no, the... as regards to Sylvester McCoy himself? The version I heard was the BBC, one, again, production that stuff... The BBC wanted Tom to be the Doctor at the start. Right. Allegedly. Seagal wanted... Yeah. No. Seagal wanted, Darkness, Seagal wanted Sil, um, Sylvester. And Fox didn't want anybody. <laughs> Fox no. didn't want a regeneration. Yeah. Which, yeah. Um, Here's this brand new show. Yeah, well, yeah, yes. I mean, you know. Hello, America. This is, yeah, and this is the so thing... A great new thing for you. I was kind of... Yeah, watching it, and I kind of I had to put all of that aside because I've kind of I feel like okay, I processed my feelings about the whole regeneration and the feeling that they they completely botched the thing because of the first you know um, yeah sadly you know from from the point of view of launching it it feels like they just botch it just because of the approach they take with with having that handover but in general I found more to enjoy about it this time than than I have in the past. Mm. It's funny, I don't know whether it's having the benefit of, what have we got, 15 years of the new series, or however long it is. It mm. seems like a completely reasonable and rational thing to start with Sylvester McCoy now, and I remember when that was a completely 
insane opinion that you would never in your right mind, after a show had been off the air for as long as mm-hmm. six years, it would be madness to try to establish any sense of continuity with the show continuing. And now, watching it today, I watched it with my girlfriend, and I was trying to instill the, the sense that we had of watching it at the mm-hmm. time, that the Doctor Who was a long-dead series, that the six whole years had elapsed, no, seven, seven whole years had elapsed since we'd last seen any. And it was just really hard to kind of get on board with the idea of just how ridiculous it it probably is. But yeah, that's with the benefit of of a 21st century (laughs) highly successful reboot, which now leans into the history of the series extremely heavily and rewrites it. I I just really mostly enjoy it. It's slick, it's fast-paced, it's fun, and I think that's that's a really critical thing. The, the, The plot comes off the rails towards the end but there is stuff in there that works but is also buried there's stuff that makes sense that is is muddy and the the only really unacceptable piece of plotting is the rolling back of time uh it's not very clear that grace still is psychically linked to the doctor which is how she can so efficiently rewire the tardis it's all there on screen but it's so hastily done and, and glossed over that you just kind of left reeling from all of these simultaneous events. The the dialogue's there, but it, it takes a lot of work to unpick it. And I can kind of forgive all that, but then time rolls back and everyone comes back to life. And that, again, is another... That's a leftover from an earlier draft. Mm. It was when the, the, the young lad oh, was yeah. Jack. There's a plot thread of his father is brought back to life by the TARDIS. My memory's hazy. But the reincarnation theme is an, is an old leftover plot strand mm. and the new year is is a is a kind of leftover plot strand because it was originally that the master was channeling all the psychic energy from the new year celebration mm. to power his machiavellian plan and so the new year thing got retained yeah but that explains a lot not that matthew jacobs is insane yeah there is nothing in the plot that actually links it to i mean that that's the whole point of the or almost the whole point of that, the famous, yeah, seeing things, seeing patterns in things that aren't there or whatever. I've, I've garbled the quote now, haven't I? He yeah. says that humans are always seeing patterns in things that aren't there, mm. as if he's, they're seeing patterns in things that aren't there, <laughs> which I don't think is what he's supposed to be saying. Yeah. Yes. I think he's saying, I think it's patterns that aren't there in things mm. that are there. <laughs> but um, no, no, never mind that. It just struck me this time. It's Paul McGann. He can't pass a sentence to save his life <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that he's superb Halloween oh yes This mm. it was a Halloween episode before it was a New Year episode oh was it okay yeah the, I think the Eye of Harmony was resurrecting the dead I oh. think that's where that resurrection but do they through did they ever came. did they ever uh, right I agree with everything you said, Gavin. Um, Thank you. For once. <laughs> Don't get used to it. No, I mean, yes, it, it... I can't remember what you said now, but I agree with all of you it. Agree with it, it. Does, it does gradually make less and less sense as it goes along. Mm-hmm. But the sense of fun, the sense of relief that it, if you know and can rem- remember and bear in mind as you're watching how bad it could have been, mm. that never leaves me. In fact, I enjoy, and yeah, I agree, I enjoy it. I've always liked it. My opinions haven't really changed in 30 years, but mm-hmm. <laughs> 25 mm-hmm. years. 25. But 
the the benefit of the new series. So many of the things that were controversial about it, whether it's literal, you know, literal things like oh, Doctor Who kissing a girl, mm. aren't as controversial now, but many other aspects of it. Yes, the music, the, the music pace. grates less than than it did at the time, <laughs> and the pacing mm. and so on. Anyway, the plotting. I think, I mean, I might be a bit thick, but I think it's, this is the first time I've ever really understood what the point of the whole atomic clock business was. Mm. That's always seemed very random and bizarre to me, but I finally realised that the, the Master's meddling has caused it, there's all that timing malfunction stuff, mm. which is repeated so many times that this time I actually remembered it, and that's, and that, that's just a part to fix mm. a mechanical malfunction, simple as that. But it, because there's not enough dialogue, I'm, I'm used to more explicit dialogue in my Doctor Who. But yeah, I mean, at the end, turning back time, it doesn't give you confidence because it gives... Never mind Bibles for the series or what the, t- the tone's going to be. If you have that little understanding of... It's not even, a, it's not even an understanding of the science fiction, the science mm. of time travel, mm. but it's the dramatic possibilities mm. of time travel. If you're going to have that kind of time manipulation where you can roll back time and undo anything bad that happens, where's yeah. the drama ever going to be ever again? Mm. Yeah. And that's why no, no science fiction ever does that, apart from Superman the movie, which I think mm. most sensible commentators think is wank. But even there, it's more. <laughs> I mean, it's a fantasy, isn't it? The, mm. the, the way it's the, it's ru- done, it's the rules it's, of storytelling rather than the rules of yes. yeah. Yeah. Of science fiction. Yeah. Any, any storytelling, it might as well be saying it was all a dream. I don't, I don't know. Fantasy. As you say, it's not made explicit, but you get the. Is the, is it that because they die while the TARDIS is in the temporal orbit thing? Oh God! I'm sure there are ways. And that's yes, why, of course, they're... that's what's frustrating. There are ways you could explain yes. it. Yes, a few extra lines. Uh, why nobody? None of the many executives that presumably passed this, mm. over whose desks this script passed, spotted that and said, "Hang on a minute." <laughs> From a dramatic point of view, isn't this going to cause us trouble in the future? Mm. I mean, well, this whole doesn't, bit... doesn't the eye of harmony burp? And, and, and that's what causes them to come back to life <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so I mean, I'm we've... not quite sure what the what time bit does, to be yeah. honest. You said it might have been the Halloween thing, the mm. Tuz bringing people back to life, yeah. irrespective of the time rolling back side of it. But if that's the case, was it ever tied into the idea of regeneration? Because there, they've missed a trick. Yeah. The whole thing is about... Mm. We've got. We understand. Mm. We've introduced the idea that time lords can regenerate. We introduced the mm. idea that they can steal each other's bodies. Mm. And and different forms, yeah. different species. So you'd think that a bit of, <sighs> yes, you'd think you'd tie that in somewhere. But you'd also think that they wouldn't kill one of the heroes and have them, and sprinkle with fairy dust mm. if they want mm. to be taken seriously as drama, let mm. alone science fiction. Mm. So that's 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 the bit that always disappoints me. Every time I realise, remember that that's what's going to happen, I think, oh bugger, I was really enjoying it up till now. Well, I was just going to say that, that, I mean, they've picked the space year 1999 to set it in. <laughs> and I guess if they'd been another year or two closer, we might have ended up with the Millennium Bug or something like that, which was very much <laughs> in the air, but not, I think, in 96. I think it was probably about, it, it might have been late, later in 96 or 97 that people started talking about that a bit more. So, yeah, so we've got all the fun of the Millennium without all of the um, yeah. millennial mm. anxiety or whatever it was, you know. <laughs> It's very funny the way that this once again as as a I know I mean no it wasn't an an official pilot wasn't it it was a packed backdoor pilot or whatever did they call it mm. it sounds filthy um, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but it was... Um, it's very strange that, as a way of selling the, the concepts of the series and the, the possibilities of a series about travelling time and space, it yeah. doesn't... But you get the info dump at the start, and then the, the TARDIS just sits there being a magic box, and yeah, but, yeah. but with unspecified abilities, and it doesn't... It feels weird. We don't get any time travel, and we don't get any space travel. Yeah. Really, mm. other than it's a criticism that's not dissimilar to the, what people say about the tribe of gum. Is it that you've got this new program you want to show off all its limitless possibilities? Mm. In the tribe of gum, we don't see exciting history or exciting alien planets. We see cavemen here, but at least it's something. To step backwards mm. by showing us what three years in the future, mm. just round the corner. Mm. It's mm. yeah, it shouldn't work. Should and it? it's effectively it's it effectively didn't. contemporary, and it and it feels weird. I mean. Why did they set it in San Francisco? Was it just because Vancouver could but, sort of double for San Francisco? But then I suppose the the real comparison is not with Tribe of Gun, but with an earthly an unearthly child. The first episode, mm. they're both you know it's essentially they've started off in the present day. Mm. A mm. human identification figure enters mm. the Doctor's yes. life. They slightly bollocks it up by starting <laughs> with the Doctor, not with Grace, mm. of course. Yeah, and that's still confuses me why they do that. I, I thought I you were about to say uh, the obvious comparison is with Rose. Oh, well, that, which, that, uh, which does exactly the same thing. It, it, c- contemporary yeah. setting, no space time travel, but... Yeah. yeah. So, yes. Works. So, um, I was or working ahead from space. It's kind of yes. working away towards that. It, it's not insane. It is, that, it is possible that um, as four different production teams and maybe more mm. have taken the same approach the eleventh hour. All the other ones, they knew they were going to get a chance to show off other elements of what the series could do um, right. the next in the next story. Mm. Whereas, but, whereas this yes, one, this one, they had point. one pitch. But what's the alternative? Yeah. You know, if you throw everything in the kitchen sink into your one episode, mm. you might ruin that episode by overstuffing it. You might make it the Amazing mm. Spider-Man two. You've just got to hold firm mm. in all your beliefs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And make the pilot work as a pilot, and then you know mm. you either get your the chance to show off what else you could do mm. going, going forward back or to not. Comparison with the, the the cavemen, what really works is the the character stuff in the in the TV movie, the Doctor and and Grace, and I just think yeah, if you like you say you don't want to overstuff it, mm. and if you're presenting a relatively simplistic setup in a contemporary setup, you've got Grace at home and he, you know, it's a typical fish out of water thing, which makes you warm to her as she's trying to adapt to him. It's a nice middle ground because we as fans come to it from his perspective. So we start the story with the Doctor time travelling, which is the fan point of view. And then it becomes collided with the not we, the standard mainstream audience view, which is Grace. It works for us. Whether it works for a mainstream audience, that's not my problem. It got made. A lot of people have concluded that the production team were insane for starting with the, what is the open, in the first minute we have Time Lords, Daleks, yep. voiceover from a character that we can't see who doesn't appear for another 20 minutes. It, and it is a weird mishmash, isn't it? I, and then the random box in space and a random room that doesn't doesn't have any connection to the, <laughs> yes, the, yes, the box. No, I was yeah. I was thinking about that this time. Mm. It's a long time before, and so you miss you get several false starts with linking the 
interior and the exterior. Mm. But you are essentially there is no context, is there? No, it's entirely it's, it's a for wide, the fans, it's a li- isn't it? And it's even, a few minutes before you, uh, uh, the average viewer would realise it's a spaceship mm, rather than a library, yeah, or whatever, or a mm, cathedral. Mm, mm. And, e- but, and um, even when they do do it, it's it's, it's with the with the fact they had an effects budget and and stuff like that and could do more ambitious stuff. It still feels like when they do the big TARDIS reveal, they still slightly botch it in terms of not having a real "let's go through the doors" mm. from the mm. you know, which is within their technical abilities by this point more than it was in the old series. Well, it's it's better for the audience to be confused for 45 <laughs> minutes than to be for 30 seconds. Uh. Wise words. So, yeah, regardless of whether or not, we could argue all day about whether it should have started with the Doctor or with Grace, but I'm th- I, I realised this time that the reason it starts with the Doctor... Well, no, all right. It might start with the Doctor because they wanted to have some science fiction up front to, so that people are reassured that this is a science fiction programme. But on the other the other reason it might start with the Doctor rather than with Grace, where an earthly child and Rose and all the others start with the on Earth with the human companions, is that we are not starting with a with the doc with the Doctor, the main character that we're going to stick with. We're starting with one that we have to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the difference. I mean, I'm not saying there isn't a version. Sorry, I'm not saying there isn't a version where you start with Grace uh, uh, first day at the hospital and you, and somehow you bring in Sylvester McCoy and then you kill him. But the, I don't think it makes it any better. I think it just makes it even more disjointed. I, I watched it with my girlfriend today, and um, it was a couple of minutes in before she suddenly went, "Hang on, that's not his voice." <laughs> she was sort of vaguely aware. She said that 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 that's Sylvester McCoy, isn't it? He was the he was the doctor when this was made, and I was like, "Yeah, basically." Mm. And then a, a little bit later, he was like, "Hang on, that's that's not his voice." And yeah, it's a weird, dis- but I don't know what the better choice is. I mean, you can't have Sylvester. Well, you mm. could have had Sylvester McCoy narrating it. It's the doctor, but the, the, not the one you were expecting. The, <laughs> the, the dialogue is all there. The information's all there in the dialogue, but you'd never spotted on the first pass if you were mm. weren't familiar. I was in my seventh body when yeah, to, it, towards the end of my seventh. Yes, towards the end of my seventh life, as in about about thirty seconds before the end of my second life, <laughs> seventh life. Hmm. Sylvester's really good though, isn't he? Yeah. He's good. Mm. He's good on film. He should do more films. Mm. Do you wonder, maybe one day there'll be a generation of people who will say, oh, it's Radagast the Brown. Mm. I didn't know he was in Doctor Who. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry to be a bit heightist here, but I, I was surprised <laughs> to discover quite how diminutive Paul McGann is in this. I mean, or and indeed in life. Um, he sounds so much more tall. It's so much taller on Big Finish, isn't it? Big Finish, yes, absolutely. But I, th- I think to some extent this costume isn't helping. I, th- I think it, no. the costume in particular is ill-judged for his particular stature. That's something that hasn't aged. I've, I, know, I hadn't had such a problem with it before, but I could immediately see why he went on about that and the wig. Mm. It's a bit baggy, isn't it? Mm. It doesn't fit him the way... You need to be a Tom Baker to pull off something like that. Hmm... Mm. I think I think the whole uh, when he when he returns in um, uh, Night of the Doctor many years later and with 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 that what is it the sort of leather jackety garb I mean it looks it seems to suit him rather better anyway and it, and, it, and it certainly doesn't draw attention to any height or, or lack of it. Grace is great, isn't she? Yes. I think mm-hmm. if she had we've had a series or two or three with her, I think she'd be one considered one of the greats. Mm. She seemed mm. very real to me, and also she's a grown up. Yeah, 
I love that footage of her running through the hospital in the ball gown. It's just very, very you know, uh, nice bit of work, I suppose, from the director. But yeah, mm. yeah, I mean, she she just seems like an engaging character, mm. and, and yeah, you don't, well, I didn't feel that I needed to know too much about her. You know, I, I was just in the in in with that story very quickly. Mm. I do wonder how much of that very strong, clearly set up character would have survived if it had gone to a series because she's already starting to become a bit less distinctive towards the end when she's flapping around with the rest of them mm, and the TARDIS. Yeah. But it's odd that they made the decision to leave her and you know, I'm not mm, quite sure yeah. why yeah. why they made the decision to have him go off on his own. I wonder how they'd have patched that up if it had gone to series. You'd have had a Donna situation where it would have just been yeah. quickly going back and recollecting a companion. That's but Presume they'd have got it. I presume they'd have got her back. It would seem a bit odd not to. Mm. Yeah, but both both the companions are sort of showing the door. In... Mm. What does everyone talk about this story? As if it's got two companions, Grace and Chang Li, and the uh, mm. and the, the Ten Rings. Child. But he's not. He's not a companion. Is he? He's just a supporting character. Yeah, no, true. Okay, he he is it because he behaves like Adric by immediately siding with the master. Mm. Someone say something about Chang Li. Well, I quite like the fact that he's the um. I, I quite like the fact that they've. This is the story where they they they've given the master a companion. Mm. After after we talked about um, Mark of the Rani a few episodes mm. back, and the the idea that that was where the, the concept of the Rani kind of came from. Let's give the master a companion, um, and then then that got ditched. Yeah, it is it is quite nice yeah. from that point of view. It's good. It gives. I mean, we don't know anything anything at all about him, and yeah, all that stuff got left on the cutting room floor or. Or never filmed, I guess. Anything that was was worked out and was in previous drafts and so on. Perhaps I could segue from the subject of Chang Li into the topic of violence in this story, because most of mm. it, a lot of it, comes from what well, uh, surrounds him. I think not all of it at all, mm. by any means. I mean, in our preamble to this, Gav, you talked quite a lot about the. You said, "Is are we watching the violent cut mm. or the sanitised BBC one?" <laughs> Which is, I mean, which is the canonical version to a UK brain? Is it the, mm. the only version that was ever screened, broadcast in the UK? Or is it the version as it was meant to be? In fact, let's take another detour and talk about that first. Yeah. <laughs> Has that ever been released? I mean, is that... It's on the, the Blu-ray, yeah. It is, is it? The Both yeah. of them. Right. In fact, I think it's on the... I think it's the Britbox version. So at, at the time... The DVD oh, right, at the is time, the, the... The VHS, the VHS that came out... Hmm. A week before it was shown on television, was that the TV edit or Ooh, was that the full fat violence that's version? That's a good question. Because I, th- I got a feeling think... it was unexpurgated, but could be. Perhaps, yeah, perhaps I'm. I suspect the TV version. I don't. I don't feel like it was what ten years later or whenever the DVD mm. came out that I until I saw. Yeah. All these fabled. I thought the VHS was the TV edit because I thought it was a BBFC. Th- okay. I thought it was the BBFC that uh, made them cut. A requirement. So it was, it was. It's discussed in terms of it being a fifteen certificate versus a twelve certificate, and right. that would presumably not have directly affected the BBC in those kind of. Yeah, you know, they wouldn't have been thinking in those kind of terms in in terms of in terms of actual certification. So in that regard, I think that's why they made the cuts to to get a twelve certificate right. for the VHS release, and then that was presumably the version that was cleared for the BBC. But then, did when they aired it again in ninety seven? Was it or no? Sorry, um, no, two thousand. Did they? They aired it. On, they aired it on a Doctor Who night, didn't they? 
Yeah, not prime time, was it? No, no. Well, the BB, they had a BBC, BBC Two Doctor Who night. I wonder which version went out then. Yeah, I mean, is this the first example we get of enterprises being slightly ham-fisted when they get their hands on Doctor Who? Because they're obsessed with the idea that its future is America, mm. but all they really want—I mean, they—they they say they it needs the special effects and the gloss of American TV. And the style and the pizzazz of American TV. But all they really mean is the money. Because when American TV makes Doctor Who the way that American TV is made, we have to cut it to ribbons. Mm. Because that's not what we actually want. That's not what we actually want to show on BBC One. Mm. And of course, it's looking at it again, I mean, half this stuff, the over-prevalence of guns, I mean, it looks quite startling, these machine guns ricocheting off the mm. walls. But that's just part of the course, isn't it? It's not really... It's the A-team with the bullets ricocheting around and nobody ever dying. Mm. Oh, okay, they do die here. But it's it's supposed to be a... It's not supposed to be as horrific as it seems if or if you compare it to standard Doctor Who cozy British. Has the BFC never seen Caves of Androzani? <laughs> <laughs> well, quite. Or Resurrection of the Daleks. They're space bullets. They... Yeah. Hmm. yeah, I mean, there's other cuts as well, like the, the scene in the hospital where they're operating on the Doctor. There's... They're all a bit random, aren't they? It's trim, it's just, yeah, it's just generally to make it a bit less harrowing in its small way. It's, Golly, imagine it if they'd a... lost it and, and those centre clips were the only <laughs> things we had. <laughs> what, what, what a strange uh, idea yeah. we'd have of the show. It's all over the place, isn't it? Because the Doctor's harrowing death is, is drama. There's nothing particularly gory or unpleasant about no. that. That's kind of important. Whereas the machine guns bouncing around a uh, San Francisco alleyway is, is gratuitous, but not necessarily something that could be easily imitated by children. Mm. So you could argue, mm. where's the problem in that? And it's, again, how's it different from the average episode of... I'm going to say Miami Vice, because I've never seen it. What else? I mean, there's the sound... <laughs> Didn't they sense the sound of Bruce snapping his wife's neck? Well, I was wondering which about that. a bit that. nasty, but is that... The version I watched today, there is no sound effect when he breaks her neck. And I thought there was a version, but maybe I'm misremembering mm. there was a version, but never made it to the final cut. The one thing they never could. Yeah. There you go. There's, a, there's an unearthly child connection because of uh, all the, when Cal gets his head smashed in. They cut the... Um, mm, yes, they cut of the, course. Cut the sound effects. The squishy watermelon yes, noises. Yes, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. And then other things people say about the Americanisation of this story. I remember people moaning to high heaven, heaven about the fact there's a motorbike chase. Mm. Have, have these people never seen the Pertwee era? <laughs> <laughs> well, the Pertwee era never had an American motorbike. Mm. Oh, that'll be, be it then. And there's awful American ambulances with their silly American ambulance noises. Mm. Oh, it's all just so American, isn't it? <laughs> it's oh, just, it's just like watching Day of the Daleks, isn't mm. it? No, there were chases from 1970 to 1974, and all through the new series. So again, mm. not something that I think really bothers, exercises anybody at this point. I mentioned there was a point of view shot in this story. I think it's the Doctor's point of view, isn't it? We see his, him looking up at Grace on the operating table, yeah. and then fade to black. Mm. So there you go. I wonder if have we had any other Doctor point of, point of view shots in the entire 58 years. Is it Deadly Assassin? Is that yeah, a point I'm of sure view shot? Have. Where he's about to the shoot clown. the president. You get the clown. Right. That's two things that has in common with Deadly Assassin. <laughs> yeah, and the voiceover. And I gather this week's episode. No, did you say it's a voiceover or a Doctor Interior Internal monologue? monologue. Internal right, monologue. Right, okay. Well, groundbreaking. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, you, you were talking uh, spearhead from space. I mean, there's there's definite. You know, you, you you've got yeah. the rummaging for the clothes. There's there's quite there's quite a lot. That, yeah, there's quite a lot that feels like a borrow from there. I, the I X-ray. Yes, of the of the hearts. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, somebody's watched that. It seems yeah. probably feels more like Matthew Jacobs than yes. than John mm. Leakey. Mm. Yeah, I want to keep calling him Leakey <laughs> until somebody stops me. <laughs> What do we think of Eric Roberts as the master? I think he's try not to. He's definitely in it. <laughs> I think he's I think... not a master for the ages. He's but he's. I thought he was fine. I never yeah. understood the horror that people have about his right. conclusion. I mean, if he'd he's, followed he's... on from Roger Delgado, then I can understand why people would say mm, he wasn't yeah. quite up to that standard. But he followed. We've seen a lot of masters by this point, and I could, you could argue that Roger Delgado is the only one who's played it with any subtlety, yeah. and everybody mm. else has has played it as has. <laughs> As written, yeah, as a complete pantomime melodramatic. And then even more so now we have the new. Yes, yeah, exactly. And that sort of helps bridge it. But it's not as if it's not as if um, Anthony Ainley was a masterclass in in um, yeah. I think nuanced acting. I I know it was a comedy, but Jonathan Price, the Oscar-winning Jonathan Price, Mm. who was presented Mm. with *Curse the Fatal Death*, had never seen *Doctor Who*, but he instinctively knew how the master should be played from this script. As I say, I know it's a comedy. But he he gave us you know a oh a platonic ideal of the master, and this <laughs> yes. one this one covers several bases, not all one note. Mm. You've got sunglasses, monotone master, and mm. then um, high camp mm. costumed yeah. master at the end. I like him highly. Uh, um, the whole the whole thing I think very influenced by Terminator Two. Just about to say that. an awful lot of Mm. Terminator, both in the. I mean, it was early days of CGI, but what CGI could do in those days. Shiny things? Yeah. If I mean morphing, unless you had a lot of time, effort, yeah. money, and skill, you you couldn't really effectively do photo real stuff. And Jurassic Park did in '93, but by and large, if you if you had a a, a meager budget then you were best off doing something weird. And they did a pretty good job of the see-through snake stuff mm-hmm. because it didn't have to look photo-real in, in the sense that they weren't conjuring a real snake. It, it just had to look like a weird, gloopy thing. And so that sort of uh, had the, the, the T-1000 vibe from Terminator. And I thought they, that CGI stood up pretty well, really. I think all the effects, apart from that sort of weird end collage of stock footage for the New Year explosion, mm. <laughs> but I think by and large, I where would Doctor? It wouldn't good. be Doctor without a weird color, um, <laughs> yeah, montage of ill-fitting. Stock it's like footage. the end of Dalek Invasion of Earth. Isn't yeah, it? it is very much like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. a <laughs> jump cut to something much lower definition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do we think has happened to the master? I remember way back when I first saw this, at the very beginning, you get the close-up of his cat-like eyes and thinking, good God, they've carried on the continuity from the end of survival. Yeah. What, what length to go to? But then that's just one shot, and after that, yeah, no, it's more snake-based. It was a, it was an overhang from a previous script version where his <laughs> body was degenerating and he was slowly becoming more reptilian. So he he was like his skin was becoming scales and his right. eyes were becoming so snake like. Link with the snake. Okay. Yeah. So why was this... he becoming more reptilian if that's degenerating? Had he been a reptile before? Unknown. Mm. Unknown. <laughs> <laughs> Unclear. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so went a bit pitch meeting there. Mm. Small cast of characters, just like 
an earthly child tribe of gum. Hmm. Mm-hmm. True. Good. Hot take. <laughs> <laughs> what um, is it though? No, it's nothing like it. I'm just no. reaching. I mean, it's not. No, there's there's lots of characters. There's lots of characters. There's only five that matter. You cut all the others out. Mm. The others could just mime. Mm. So it's a, it's more like uh, Mummy on the Orient, Orient Express. Then. <laughs> <laughs> how many speaking parts are there? Somebody make a quick list. Well, there's uh, how many? People, there's only two other actors credited other than the in the titles. You got Dr. Grace's Master boss, Chang Li. But there's two oh, yes, others. So Grace's the... boss is arguably the, the biggest villain in the piece, actually, mm, isn't he? Yes. The woman at the desk. Yeah. Two two morgue uh, two right. morgue attendants two morgue attendants who Bill and Ted four... yeah yeah thank you um. that was my fact <laughs> oh sorry <laughs> <laughs> I don't know this fact yeah they were called Bill and Ted Paul. Oh, oh right is that it yep <laughs> good fact yeah the who wife of um, yeah yep. Bruce, Bruce. Bruce's wife. Uh, the bloke who, wrote, who invented the clock. Oh, yeah. Yes. Mr. Clock, young security guard guy. Wag. Rag. Wag or yeah. rag? Professor Rag. Wag, I think. Rag. Wag. It's rag. whichever one isn't also a member of the production team. Mm. Yes. That, Peter Rag is the producer, who's and one Professor of the Professor Worldwide wag. people. But he's not the Peter Rag who did special effects of Red Dwarf, because no. that always confused mm. me. Mm. I want to say it always confused me, I mean, it didn't really. I assume they're two different people, and they are. One of my notes for this was that the references, there are a lot of references to classic Doctor Who, but they don't get in the way. And I wrote that early on, and I changed my mind by the end. Because there's a lot of stuff early on that's just like little nods and winks, which is fine. But then by the end, I mean, I'm I'm thinking specifically of when Professor Wag slash Rag suddenly starts doing OM to camera. I presume that's a Doctor Who reference, because if not, I have no clue... What is going on? Oh, I thought it was just a very eccentric piece of characterization for a minor character. Yeah, I think okay. I, that's what I read it too. He's just doing some. Is it San Francisco? Doing a bit of transcendental meditation. Yeah. Okay, I just figured it was an abominable snowman reference uh, or a Planet of the Spiders reference. I should say. I don't know. It was just really, really jarring. There's some nice writing though. Oh yeah. I think it's a miracle that. I mean, not nods to other Doctor Who stories, but some of the Doctor's nods, some of his typical bits of name-dropping and mm. place-dropping, mm. time-dropping, are very good. I mean, I've heard much worse in the Pertwee era. Mm. When he's when he tells a little Pacini anecdote, that's nice. And uh, In fact, they yeah. all work quite well, and that's something they haven't laboured. Mm. You know, if, the, if you if you wrote, only write in the Doctor like that because that's what the Bible, <laughs> the leaky Bible told you he's like, mm. then you might think that... that uh, an unsympathetic writer would over overplay that or mis or misunderstand what the point of those moments is supposed to be, but I think they're rather tasteful. And I, it, I mean, it can't hurt that the main people involved in this program are would be, by virtue of being British, familiar with the program. Mm. Yeah, it's a shame there's no reference back to Doc Holliday. Actually, mm. <laughs> must have been very tempting. <laughs> it's funny that they didn't just um, throw. You know, if you'd think you'd think the temptation to just and why it's Wild Bill Hickok that the costume is for in, when it's referred to. You know, why he could, why mm. he couldn't have just said I'm going as Doc Holiday. You know, and you'd think that would just be mm. an irresistible little. Urge to, you wouldn't have Not to change the costume. Not to change anything about it, particularly, would you? And still a kind of pantomime cowboy costume. Uh, well, well, for, for for the Doctor Who version of the gunfighters, anyway. Mm. Yeah. 
It's um yeah no it's got lots of nice stuff and aside from the aside from the little time travel references and things you know there's just other nice little character moments like the you know the, these shoes they fit mm. perfectly line and things like it's that the, it's, just yeah it's the right level of eccentricity mm. suddenly changing tacks turning on a sixpence yes yeah little non sequiturs and things being in the moment and out of the moment simultaneously mm. yeah I think that's his biggest success mm. gave us the oh, eighth doctor who is recognizably the doctor and also recognizably something different and quite distinct and mm. he is yeah. still the same eighth doctor we that we've had through other media mm. yeah ever since i mean i think that's that's the one thing i remember about watching it in 1996 was thinking within i don't know two or three minutes of seeing mcgann on on film thinking yeah he's the doctor mm. You know, it, was, it, it was very quick. I, I accepted it very, and I was I was very impressed by his performance mm. then and and this time round as well. Just to bring up a little bugbear, I, th- I think you know, although it's very well directed and Jeffrey Sachs is undoubtedly a you know a good director, it's he's a good director in terms of working out where to, in terms of working out how to stage action and working out where to point cameras. But you know, I'm not sure how much of the incredible overegging of sim of the symbolism. And stuff well, is down to him, and is down, you know, versus the. I, I was going to ask. Versus the script. I was going to ask that because you know. I mean, I'm not, I, I, I assume it must be in the script. Alle- allegedly, he said he didn't notice the, the Christ Jesus metaphor until it was pointed out to him. Christ some... <laughs> I don't blame him for pull the other one because there's not there's not a lot else going on in those early stages. Mm. It's all there's not a lot of dialogue, so he has to make something out of. Mm. Unless, but maybe the script labours those points just as much maybe they're pages pages of loving descriptions of mm. what just what these metaphors are i think a lot of the visual stuff is down to him mm. and there's a lot of very contrived shots there's some great shots and great pieces of lighting but there's no logic to them particularly mm. the bit where the doctor goes into the the part of the hospital <laughs> which is looks like a bomb's hit it oh yeah Yes, yeah. There's an open pipe in the ceiling that's mm. pouring water into the room. Yeah. And it's just like strewn with children's toys and broken operating equipment. Limbs, severed limbs <laughs> and organs. Yeah, obviously, what the hell? I was watching with Lucy and she said, is this the same hospital? <laughs> and she's like, what is going, what's happened? Are they in a different dimension? And you're, no, you're waiting uh, for the he's plot seemingly just this, like wandered 10 feet into an apparently bombed out piece of the ward, basically so that he can look down and there's some shattered pieces of mirror in order to reflect his face back at him 15 times. And it's that disconnect of the sense of reality mm. drops away as these extraordinarily contrived shots come into play. I think, I think we should be grateful that he just burst down the metal door rather than rolling away a massive stone that was placed in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a missed opportunity with the bloke said, uh, oh my God, and not Jesus Christ. But I suppose that was uh, um, probably not allowed in uh, American <laughs> yes, well, that, was, that yeah. would save the whole thing for me. If he just got it tangled in some barbed wire on the way out, and he just had a sort of like a, a little hat of barbed wire. Well, he gets that. He gets that later, of course, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> oh, he, oh my God! Oh, did you not notice it's that? All coming together. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's too subtle for me. <laughs> so, so we've laced our links between the stories throughout the discussion of uh, 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 that we've had. I, mean, I wonder if there are any others that you wanted to throw into the mix. Both stories start with an unexplained supernatural weirdness. Uh, in the case of an unearthly child, 
the gate of Totter's yard opens of its own accord to let the camera yes. through for no reason that is ever explained in retrospect. Mm. And in uh, the TV movie, you've got all that bizarre bit where the Doctor's tea is swirling and then his cup yeah. explodes <laughs> into the air. Mm. And you just yeah. you just have to accept the fact that this is the nature of things in the Time Lord society when 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 villainous people do peculiar things that, that <laughs> cups of tea explode in nearby rooms, which hmm. could be a general annoyance. Mm. Uh, yeah. And it's just one of those things. It's like a it's a tonal setup that that is completely disconnected from reality and logic. Mm. You just have to go with it. Very good. Yeah. Uh, the acronym uh, one of the few times that time and relative dimension in space is blurted out in both an Anthony Chard and TV movie. And in a, in a horrible info dump in the TV movie, when when Paul McGann's Doctor is just hastily recapping as much Doctor Who lore as he can in 30 seconds. I think there's a five-minute, well, possibly less, there's about a five-minute period when the TV movie really tests your patience because you get the Doctor's half-human and then all of that info dump and then and the kiss and just every all the most objectionable things are all in a really condensed period in... in, but, in mm. After that long info dump, they do at least have the good grace, no pun intended, to have her switch and decide she, mm. he's bonkers. He's yeah. So yes. I think she does quite a nice aside during the middle of his um, rant about, uh, about the last mm. 26 seasons. <laughs> I think one of the weird choices in this is the info dumps, some are true and some aren't, and it's, a, it's an odd choice for the uninitiated to have to look back and realize that a lot of the things that we were told in this story just aren't true the master fills in loads of the the backstory of this tv show first and is later discovered to be a liar (laughs) and then the doctor does it telling you stuff that you should write down in your notebook if this is the first time Mm. you've watched doctor who but disregard everything you'd heard up until that point because that was a complete misdirect Mm. so um... Yeah. What do we think about him being half human? And what by that I mean that is that that's just another it's another part of along with all the other stuff that was in this Bible that didn't make it onto screen, it's it's the stuff they got wrong because it makes the whole world smaller. It's supposed to be a universe of infinite possibilities, but you're immediately tying Is it just because they think they need because they know half of these stories are gonna be set on Earth and they need an explanation of why the Doctor loves Earth and comes here so often. And Somebody in the production team has been unsettled by the fact that this has never been clarified in the previous in the old series. Well, he just loves it. Why does he love it? He can't just love it. There mm. must be a link. There must be something explicit. Or is it because of, they watched too much Star Trek? I was going to say a bit of a nod to Spock, but yeah. Uh, is it the Leakley Bible again? Is that one of the other bits? Is Ulysses? Can you remember Giles? No, I cannot. Ulysses is Barusa's son. Ulysses is Barusa's son. The Doctor goes off with with Barusa's essence fused with the TARDIS, going looking for his father, Ulysses. And I have a half an idea that the half-human element came in at that stage. Mm. I could be wrong. Why is it so family-oriented when it's supposed to be about the infinite boundaries of time and space well, this is just because um, and i don't want to offend our american listeners but there is a, a bit of a session with daddy issues and, and father figures in in american science fiction and indeed culture well it's a standard 
it's a standard screenwriting trope, isn't it? In general, that you you have to yeah you have to have some ghost of some you know some sort in terms of a, some kind of chip you know chip on the character's shoulder that has to be resolved. Controversial. I've never thought the Time Lords, these beings that are functionally immortal, live forever, are at the most <laughs> successful and indeed impressive when we're learning everything about their families. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just takes the mind, it just undercuts the whole idea mm. of them being immortal guardians of the universe when they're actually settling down to tea <laughs> in their suburban semis. Perusa and Ulysses and Mrs. Who. Normally looking at similarities, and, and that is the big difference, isn't it? It's the original Doctor Who was a series based on mystery. We we didn't get any answers of any relevance for six years after Doctor Who started. Mm. Mm. And that was the success repeated in the 2005 reboot, although weirdly, look, you know, when you rewatch series one, it is actually quite surprising how much you get and how quickly, because at the time it felt like an extraordinarily slow drip feed of information about the Time War. Mm. Yes. But yeah, the TV movie is the is the absolute opposite. It's It's determined to tell you as much about the Doctor as possible, and and it's completely irrelevant. The, the the success of the original Doctor Who series was 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 entirely divorced from knowing anything about the main character. You don't need to know a main character's backstory, or if you mm. do, it can come very slowly and be an mm. interesting journey in itself. But um, yeah, it, it's totally irrelevant mm. in driving the adventure. Sure. Strangest thing is, I was never bothered by the idea that the Doctor's mother might have been human. Mm didn't bother me one way or the other. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's important mm. and necessary to, do, to explain away anything about the Doctor. Mm. But as a plot point that you might have done something with... Why not? It, yeah. it, I, find, I, I think that's a sort of new fact that opens up new mysteries. Mm. Why? How did that happen? I'm not saying it would have ever made, any, ever made good drama if they'd gone into it mm. in any detail, but it wouldn't have bothered me as much as other showrunners' revelations about the Doctor's mysterious... Mm. It's interesting that um, one thing I did notice on this occasion was that they throw that in there, but they also, I think, in a later bit of dialogue, give the first hint that the Doctor can change species when he regenerates, which Mm -hmm. kind of gives you a get-out-of-jail-free card that the Eighth Doctor can be be half-human on his mother's side while... um, But he... Yeah. Whilst, yeah. I know how people explain that, but Mm. the way he says it, I'm... Mm. Yeah. He doesn't really say... I'm now half human. This body is half human. Mm. In fact, no. If it just said this body is half, I'm half human, mm. it, you could have hand waved that to mean I, the Eighth Doctor, am. But on my mother's side, mm. well, unless that's a joke. But you know, better people than us. Sorry, worse people than us <laughs> have gone gone over these points and yes, flogged the yeah. patch of ground where the dead horse used to be. Mm. So <laughs> I apologise for raising it. Uh, mm. One thing I noticed was, um, yeah couple of things that this picks up that go into New Who and specifically into Rose there's a few there's a few moments where you think okay how much of that is coincidence like the go into the TARDIS do a double take go out and walk around it and then go back in shots yeah. and the, the is this the first time that's ever done followed by Rose uh, I think being the second I think so well, which it would have to be of course and then <laughs> the I think the Doctor and don't the Doctor and Grace go running towards the camera holding hands in the same way that the Doctor right. and Rose do as they're crossing Westminster Bridge. So is Rose equal parts 
survival and the TV movie. Mm. Well, you know, I'm just thinking there's there's a bit more mm. in there, mm. and the um yeah, I mean that's this is that's more of a commonplace now, but the, the TARDIS materialization thing. That's the first time that the TARDIS arrives in a spectacular fashion with whipping up wind and debris and mm. stuff in the in the way that we are again used to it doing in New Who when when we need a spectacular event. And in fact the 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 fact it appears to land on top of on top of on top of <laughs> Chang Li is very um is very New Who. And admittedly in fact in this case it's just landing in front of him but mm. the way the seventh doctor goes out is I suppose undignified and yet I think the people who say that, the sort of people who don't think the fourth Doctor's end is fitting, mm. but which is to say I disagree with these people. And, and I know this is entirely a fanish point of view and nothing that any of the people involved in making the programme would have considered, but the fact that the seventh Doctor was the arch manipulator had everything planned mm. and is then looking the wrong way when he comes out the TARDIS and gets accidentally yeah. hit by some machine guns, I think is kind of has some nice dramatic irony to it. <laughs> Gav? Well, then here's a quiz question for the ages. Who kills the Seventh Doctor? Grace. Correct. Mm. Oh, yes, of course. Mm. Yeah. Because it was one of those things I always had in my head that he he died because he'd been shot and then he was carted into the hospital. And although there is there is ADR that says we're losing him, they, they wheel him in and say, oh, he was shot in the shoulder and he's shot in the leg, but he's okay yes. and his heart rate's going. Mm-hmm. So we'll get the cardiologist in. Yeah. And, and it's supposed to be a routine operation. At this yeah, point. yeah, but That's the, whole the, the cardiology really. part of it is basically redundant. The, the bullets are essentially not bothering him. And apart from his raised heart rate, it seems that he'd probably be okay mm. if they just left him alone. So she's yeah. just investigating. She's not trying to get anything out or... She just... says that she's going to work out why he's fibrillating and, and put a little probe it. in or something. And she? she puts a camera in. Mm, the camera. Yeah. And then the camera breaks off inside him clear, and that's what kills him. Yeah. Because the camera breaks off and his body reacts and then they use the defibrillators and that's what finishes him mm. off. So yes, it is Grace, oh, and the, uh, Grace the, who kills And him. the anaesthetic supposedly inhibits the regeneration. Yeah. Well, it sounds like something from a New Adventures book. <laughs> so, whether deliberately or not, they've made him look vulnerable to, to bullets, but at the same time... What really killed him is a woman. Tried to make <laughs> explicit that he isn't vulnerable to bullets, and yet, which kind of confuses the picture, but then of course it's always been confused because the number of people who seem to believe that the Doctor, that time bells are impervious to ordinary weapons because they can regenerate. Well, but we've... Yes. Well, even that's unclear in the pro, in the um, program, isn't it? We've seen... Yeah, no, I think it's been I think it's been hammered into the ground by that scene in The Impossible Astronaut, hasn't it? If it was ever unclear yeah. before, the point is you can recover from a project... A, but you can also fall from a spaceship from orbit through a glass ceiling and splash on the floor and be absolutely fine. But you but can't not, fall from a no. slightly smaller radio telescope. Clearly it was the going through the <laughs> glass window that yeah, saved soul. him. Yeah, yeah. And, and, in, and the roof of the train mm. in The Woman Who Fell to Earth. Yes. So you... It's inconsistent. That's a, yeah. No, that's clear. That seems very clear, clear about time of biology. the ambulance in, 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 uh, in <laughs> it all have been fine, wouldn't it? Yeah, or on Adric. <laughs> 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 uh, He's the, breaking the glass ceiling, but from the other direction. Yeah. <laughs> very good. 
He's killed by kindness in the TV movie. You can make something mm. of that. Mm. I can't be bothered. So, is that it? Have, have we have we plumbed our um, interest? Any, any, any final points? I thoroughly enjoyed watching we... both of these. I th- what excellent examples of television that could be better, but is still very good. Mm. They both mm. are. I don't. I don't think I'd have enjoyed the TV movie as much if I hadn't. Uh, had to sit through three episodes of Another Child. <laughs> I was desperate that, for something to stimulate my brain. That is the joy of this podcast. Mm. Well, well, I had a, 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 a slightly different experience, which was that I watched An Earthly Child on the train on the way up to London. I then watched Galaxy Four while I was there, and then I watched <laughs> a TV movie in the train on the way home. So I, I got I got three Doctor Who stories you for can't the. Do that. Uh, <laughs> You're not allowed to watch something that isn't in the podcast. <laughs> we, we didn't talk about when we first saw all these things. When did did anybody not first see the TV movie on BBC One in 1990, May 1996? Gav. I saw it in 1996. It was the day after or the day before my birthday. I can't remember which. I feel like... Why do I feel like I saw it before it was on TV? Because was the video released early? It was. And I, I think right. I got, I think I got the VHS. My local group, somebody in my local group got a hold of it earlier and and put it on at a local cinema. So we all went and sat and watched oh, it nice. there. I think, yeah. Wow. Well, I just, I don't know why I crow, crowbarred that memory, and it's not that mm-hmm. good. Yeah, I saw it on original broadcast and mm-hmm. nonsense. Oddly. <laughs> yeah. I suppose it's the equivalent of reading the Five Doctors a couple of days before. Yeah, it was on yeah, telly. Much. And similarly for or, or, or watching mm. Rose. No, sorry, go on. Yes, yeah, sim- similarly <laughs> for an unearthly child. I presume Paul, you and I are both are both five, yeah. five faces as, as as is Richard. Yeah. Uh, but what about Gav? Because you're the youngster of the um, group. Uh, my my dad had it recorded from the Five Faces, ah, so cool. when I got into Doctor Who, which was in eighty six or eighty uh, summer of eighty seven, I was going through my dad's Five Faces of Doctor Who VHS collection. So, Five Doctors, Three Doctors, Unearthly Child, Crotons—they're my earliest memories of Doctor Who. Not necessarily in that order. Smashing. Ooh. I think the Crotons was the first thing I ever saw. I think that's mm. on record. <laughs> so I won't have a bad word said against it. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> yeah. Good. Okay, well, look, thanks thanks all of uh, the, the, the three of you for joining me for, to, to chat these uh, about these two stories, which has been a lot of fun. So, yes, yeah, so that was our... our uh, I mean, perhaps it would have been nice to say so up front, but it was sort of our anniversary special <laughs> on the on uh, recorded almost on the 58th anniversary, but probably after the 58th anniversary by the time I've edited it. And we've got, I think, one more that we'll do probably this side of Christmas if we can get our act together. Um, if not, it'll be early in the new year. So, yeah, uh, look out for that. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll be back probably in about a month's time. Bye, gang. Oh, uh, yeah, and in the meantime, goodbye. Yes, you're right. You're right, Paul. We should say goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Welcome to the podcast where we take something old. No, I'll tell you what, if I try, I should actually try speaking, it would help. I'm missing it. Sorry.
And all I can say is I hope that you've recorded it because I realise I haven't actually recorded the... Um, <gasps> the what? <laughs> he hasn't recorded the oh, stream. Yeah. Which, you know, is, is a bit careless, really. <laughs>